So it's Colossians chapter 3 we're going to open on. Um, but as you're opening there, can I just say, you're all a little bit different. You're all a wee bit odd. <laughs> Even in ours Peninsula standards, where most of us live. Um, at least you should be, shouldn't we? As Christians, we should be different. We should be set apart if we're followers of Jesus Christ. And I don't, I don't actually mean socially inept or a societal reject or a hermit. But what I mean is that as Christians, we are different in the sense that everything should be different. Everything should change if you're a Christian. Or to put the same truth negatively, there is nothing in life that is not different for the Christian. Everything should be different. Work should be different. Singleness should be different. How we go about marriage should be different. Sex should be different. Family should be different. Money, sickness, suffering, even death is different. Everything changes for the believer. How we live and what we value should be different. We should not find comfort in conformity. We should not strive to fit in. For after all, we died. We died to our old selves and we have a new life within us. The life of Jesus Christ within us. A life that beats for Jesus. That beats to a different drum to what this world beats for. But in a world full of trials and distractions and struggles and difficulties, perhaps you find that to be a little bit difficult. Perhaps you beat yourself up about that. You know that the Christian life should be different, but sometimes you don't feel all that different after all. You find it difficult to obey God and his laws and his rules, which are so different to the world around us. And so the question I want to ask to start is, how can we sustain obedience? Maybe you as a Christian, you want to obey God, you want to follow his, his laws and rules, but you find yourself over and over again falling into the same traps and you're beating yourself up and you feel like a useless Christian and you think to yourself, well, how can I sustain obedience? How can a Christian obey? Is it by sheer determination and effort? Is it to try harder? We want to walk in a manner worthy of your calling as we read in Ephesians 4, but how? Is there a key to holy living? Is there a motivation that enables us to obey? And with that in mind, let's read from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. And it says this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. 
Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another and if anyone has a complaint against one another, forgiving one another as the Lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And the peace of Christ, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God and whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him and that's our reading for this morning but I love how this begins it begins with if then you have been raised with Christ this imagery of being raised from the dead evokes either a yes or no answer you know have you been raised from the from the with Christ it's either yes or no. Um, you can't just say, oh, I think so. A little bit. I've been half raised. I'm half alive. I'm half dead. You know, I've been praying. I've been reading. But it's so easy to slip back, so it's hard to know. And I've got, you know, my head above the water, so to speak. I'm partially raised. No, you're either alive or you're dead. You're not working towards being alive. So whenever Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ... He's not planting a seed of doubt. He's not putting in this if of doubt. It's an if of argument. It's like, for example, if I came up to another parent and I said to them, well, if you're a parent, you'll know the feeling when your kid plays with the cardboard box instead of the expensive toy, right? I'm not saying that that person isn't a parent. I'm not putting into question whether or not my friend is a parent. What I'm saying is that as a parent, or since you're a parent, you'll know how it feels to have your child play with a cardboard box instead of the toy you bought for them. So you could translate that if as since, couldn't you, or since then. So it's an argument, and it's an argument based on what has went before. Since then, you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. So he's basing this argument on what he said already, Paul, the writer to the Colossians. So what has went before? Well, if we look back, we'll see some of the things that God has done for us. That means that if you're a Christian and you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your saviour, you can know for sure that you're raised with Christ. It says in chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. It was Jesus' work on the cross. It was his death. It was God's reconciliation that has brought you to himself. It wasn't you that has made yourself good enough before God because none of us are. It's God who has forgiven us and redeemed us by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Or in chapter two, verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So if you've been raised with Christ, you have been raised with Christ. 
It's as simple as that, isn't it? If you're a Christian, you're a Christian and no one can stop that from being the case. If God has forgiven you, you're in his hands and no one can pluck you out of his hands. He's the one who's redeemed you and so therefore we're in a very secure position indeed. But it's only if you've been raised with Christ that we should seek the things that are above. It says there in that verse, didn't it? If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Otherwise, if you're just seeking the things that are above, if you're trying to live a godly life and you're not actually a Christian, then it's just legalism. It's just living by your own strength. And this was the, the dilemma that Martin Luther went through whenever he was a monk before he became a Christian. He saw the problem of sin and he decided to really white knuckle it, if you like, and he really did everything he could to try to make himself right enough before God. He really cared. He really wanted to be right before God. And Luther said, actually, at one point, if anybody could be saved through monkery, it was him. And at one stage, actually, mm -hmm. someone asked him if he loved God. And he said, he asked me if I love God. Sometimes I hate him. And he was saying that because he felt this resentment of many hours he spent in this confessional before God, trying to ensure that he had salvation. But then one day, God opened his eyes and he saw that he could never accumulate the righteousness that he needed to reach a holy God. He discovered that we are all sinners. Inherently, we're sinners. That not matter how we act now, we are born in sin. And yet Jesus has achieved something that we could never achieve through the cross. And not only has he paid for my sin, but he has kept the law. He is perfectly righteous and he has given his righteousness to us. And this is called imputed righteousness sometimes. We see it in Philippians 3 verse 9, for example. It says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. It's our sins given to Christ, and it's Christ's righteousness given to us. It's sometimes called the great exchange as well. Our sins have been given to Jesus Christ. He has died, died for them on the cross and he has given to us his righteousness. He's given to us new life. He's living within us as we've been reading here in Colossians. And so we're justified by faith alone in him. And when Martin Luther said he discovered that, he said that the gates of paradise opened and he entered in. It was an amazing thing for him to see that he didn't have to strive to enter the kingdom of God but that Jesus had paid the price already, that it was already done, and he simply was to accept the price that Jesus had paid for him on the cross. And so what follows here in Colossians chapter 3, this list of do's and don'ts, it's not a list simply of do's and don'ts. It's not simply a list of rules for Christian living. And that's sometimes how it's seen. Well, here's how I should act in order to look like a Christian. And sometimes even as Christians, we put ourselves under that pressure of making sure we're doing everything and following the tick box and then beating ourselves up when we fall and forgetting that actually what we see here, this great list, is giving us evidence. It's saying this is the result and the evidence of Christ living in you. If you are a born again, true believer, if you have God's new life living within you, this is how your life should look because you were raised from your deadness you can't raise yourself from the dead nobody could raise himself from the dead you've been made alive god raised you from the dead 
you were raised with Christ. You were not raised with yourself. Um, and there's a guy called Thomas Aquinas who in the 13th century, he was a philosopher and a priest and he had a lot of influence over the Roman Catholic doctrine that we see today. And part of his influence was his belief on the steps to salvation, he called it, which was basically to say that if you do enough good works, you're working up these steps to salvation. And then once you can't go any further, God, who's pleased with your work, reaches down and pulls you up the rest of the way. So it's partly your work and partly God's work that brings you to salvation. But the Bible teaches the exact opposite, doesn't it? It tells us that we can't even make it up step one. We need God. We cannot achieve salvation at all. And this is the amazing thing. And it's actually when we realize that, that we have our salvation from God and he's living within us, that we still live for him, but it's not out of a desire to make ourselves right before God. It's because we're right before God and because he's living within us that we live, therefore, in gratitude to him. So we can't achieve salvation and we have to stop trying to. And we can see there in Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 to 21, it says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you're still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. This is a problem the Colossian Christians were going through. They were being told by these people coming in that actually, you know, how can you be absolutely sure you are a believer in Jesus Christ? How can you be sure of your salvation? Make sure that you are super spiritual. Make sure that you do these things that are making you really look different to those around you. And make sure you follow all these regulations. Don't handle this. Don't touch that. Don't taste this. Be so different and set apart. And they were striving by their own means to do this thing that they were putting themselves under great turmoil and Paul was writing to say if you're raised with Christ you're raised with Christ remember that if Jesus Christ has forgiven you then we can live in gratitude to him if we're alive in Christ we die to our old selves so stop trying to earn God's favor by your own means it's like going back to your old self and trying to bring him back to life again it's for example a multiple murderer is condemned to the electric chair and imagine the guards allow me in to speak to this multiple murderer and they say I go over this this guy say he's a friend of mine and he's he's in he's in the electric chair and I say to him what made you so hostile you know was it because your liver was out of order I know you should take up vegetarianism that will help and he said what who cares now I'm, I'm in the electric chair I'm about to die Taking up vegetarianism isn't going to take me back to life. I'm as good as a dead man. I'm in the electric chair. I'm about to die. No regulations are going to save me now. I'm about to be executed. What are you talking about? And I said, just eat that banana. No, it's not going to help. And then after he dies, I go back to the guards and say, can I go and see him again? And they allow me in. And I go up to the corpse and say, you really should take up vegetarianism. You should eat that banana. Then the guards will probably take me out and, you know, I don't know what they'll do. Um, tell me never to come back again because it's just so silly, isn't it? But that's what we sometimes do. We're going back to our old dead selves and saying, I need to make myself good enough before God. No, we died and we are now raised with Christ and it's Jesus Christ living within us that enables us to follow him. It's nothing that we do that can make ourselves right before God. 
No amount of regulations are going to save that man now. So stop trying to earn new life with God and make ourselves feel secure before God because of how we live with regulations like do not handle, do not taste and do not touch. So does that mean we just don't bother them? Does that mean that, sure, I'm, I'm right before God, so that's good. I can just, that's great, ticket to heaven. I can just live how I want now. Well, no, if Jesus Christ lives in you, then that should change you, shouldn't it? And that's, that's why Colossians goes through this list to give us evidence that we are his. He has given us a new heart. We read that in Ezekiel, don't we? In 36, verse 26, it says, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will put, I will give you a heart of flesh. That's what God is doing. It's God removing this heart of stone and giving you a heart of flesh. It's only in Christ that we can have this new life. It's only Christ that gives us this new life. And we can see that great summary in Colossians have put up already. And you'll see in verse 2, chapter, or chapter 2, verse 20, you died with Christ. In verse 12, you, bur- you were buried with Christ. Verse 12 as well, you were raised with Christ. And verse 13, you were made alive with Christ. This is a great thing that God has done for us. We can't do this ourselves. We died with Christ. We were buried with him. We were raised with him. We've been brought into new life with him. And it's all with him. So we cannot boast. It means that whenever you do serve God and live for him and show in that list how you're different to those around you, we can't boast about it because it's God living within us. It's God making that difference in you. And the Bible calls that sanctification. Um, The Westminster Shorter Catechism is quite an interesting read. But one of the things it says there about sanctification is that it's the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. You see, one of the great errors of what we believe about sanctification is that it's what we do. You know that, yes, we were justified, we've been forgiven because of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. If you've trusted in him, you are justified. God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin anymore. We believe that. And that's, we say that's God's work. But now it's up to me to follow God and to do his will. But that's not what sanctification is. Justification is God's work for us on the cross as Jesus died for us and was raised back to new life. And he's paid for our sins. And we've trusted in that. But sanctification is then God's work in us. It's God making the difference. It's God working within us, giving us this new life. And um, the guy who wrote Uh, rock of ages called Augustus top lady knew this and it's called double grace sometimes it's known as this justification and sanctification the fact that God paid for our sins but also that he now works within us it's two graces it's double grace and that's what in rock of ages you'll know it says oh be the sin the double cure cleanse me from its guilt and power this double cure the fact that God has forgiven us but now that he works within us, it's this amazing double grace that God has worked within us. And so we grow in him and we have this new life in him. It's it's known as spiritual growth. Now, um, I'm going to admit something that I find it very hard to admit, but I'm going to admit it anyway. Um, My twin brother is half an inch taller than me. (laughs) If, If you were to speak to him, he'd say it's an inch, but that's ridiculous. It's half an inch, but anyway... 
Um, not that I mind, of course, but <laughs> I, I, growing up, I remember, you know, we, we, in the kitchen, you have your marked how tall you are, and you're always going back and saying how much taller you've got. And I remember praying that I would get taller than Alan. That nothing that mattered to me anymore than I was taller than him. And sometimes God's best answer is no, isn't it? But um, anyway, so we, we do that as Christians, though, don't we? We look at the spiritual growth, and we think, well, look at him. He's, he's more... He has more spiritual growth than me. He's, he's further on the road than I am. And we beat ourselves up. Or it can work the other way, where you get yourself all proud and haughty and think, look how much I, better I am than him or her or someone else. And think that you're doing great when actually you're not. Because we can look to Christ. That's who we look to. We look to him who's ran the race before us. And instead of beating ourselves up, we, we look to him and we know that he is living within us. And he enables us to follow him each day. In sanctification, we're never going to be perfect in this life. And anybody who tells you they are is deceiving themselves, as we read in Scripture. Because in this life, we will never be perfect. But one day we'll be before him forever. And it's God who is working this sanctification within us. We see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Or in Ezekiel 20, verse 12, I am the Lord who sanctifies them. It's God who's working within you. And that gives us a real sense of hope and security because if it was just based on my efforts, then I would be sunk. And I would feel totally useless all the time. But whenever I do feel and slip up, I can go before God and ask him for his strength and his grace to stand up and follow him another day. For after all, God is the source of all life, isn't he? And it was God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. In Colossians 2 verse 12, it says, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So if God could raise Jesus from the dead, then he could raise you into new life with him. And where is God, this source of life? Well, back to our chapter we're reading together in verse 1. He is where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Christ is in heaven. God is in heaven. And so where should our gaze be? Our gaze should be heavenward, shouldn't it? Our focus and hope should be in heaven. You're not British. You're not Northern Irish. You're not Irish. You're not Scottish, English, Portuguese, or wherever you might say you're from. Because you're a child of God. And so our true citizenship is in heaven. That's our true citizenship. Yes, you might be British and so on, but our true citizenship is in heaven. We are children of God. We are children of the great king of the universe. And he is living within us and helping us to live as his children. We, we bear his name. So let's live as his children. Let's give honor and glory to him. Stop trusting in your old self and start relying on Jesus Christ each day. We see that in verse 2 of Colossians chapter 3. It says, set your minds on things that are above. When you run a marathon, you look to the finish line. You don't look to your sore legs. That just slows you down and makes you stop, doesn't it? And you start to think about how you're feeling. But you look to the finish line. We look to Christ. We set our minds on things that are above. If you go to a mechanic, for example, the mechanic fixes your car. And then you say to him, All right, thanks, see you, goodbye. Hope, hope I don't see you again for a while. But not so with God. You, know, you, don't, you don't go to a mechanic and say, now mechanic, can you jump in my car with me and just go with me everywhere I go? 
and make sure that the car is fine for the next 30 years. No, you leave the mechanic. But God is not our mechanic. He's not just our quick fixer. He is working within us. He's our maker and he can live in you. So that's why verse 5 reads this way. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. We can, through Jesus Christ working within us, put to death those old things and live for Christ. It's a bit like trees. Some trees keep their dead leaves through the winter. And when spring comes, new life pushes out the old leaves. But sometimes that's a bit like us. We're clinging to the dead leaves. and We're not wanting to let them go. But we can live in this new life that God has given to us. That's what this sanctification is. God has given us the ability to serve him. But he still calls us then to take of that and to respond to that sanctification that he's given us. But often we make excuses. We say, oh, that's just who I am. I'm just a, I'm just a warrior. That's just who I am. Oh, I just don't have the patience for that kind of thing. I'm just not a very patient kind of person or whatever. And we just say, oh, that's just, that's just me. No, that's your old self. You don't need to identify as that anymore. You're now a child of God. You have the new life of Christ living within you. And if you want to serve him, he will give you the ability to serve him. We still have to make an effort to follow him. We still need to respond to God's sanctification in our lives. But he gives us the strength to do it. And we should be taking of that strength and that grace and that power that he gives us each day as grace is new every morning so we can follow him. We don't just simply let go and let God as there was a phrase that went about for a while. No, in Ephesians chapter 6, there's warfare language for following God. Or in 2 Timothy 2, there's fighting language for serving God and following him. It does take work, it does take striving, but it comes from God and he enables us to do it. He enables us to follow him by living in us. That's amazing. You know, like if you're going in a car, a GPS is a bit like the law. It guides you, it tells you where to go, right? So you put the G GPS on and it says, bear left. And there's no bear, of course, but anyway. It says, bear left, and you just sit there in the car and just wait for the car to move. No, it's the engine that helps the car move. And our great engine is Christ living in you. Yes, the law is there before us, but God enables us to follow him. So through him, let's put off the old selves and put on the new. Yesterday, I was painting the um, study where, well, Ab Abigail's room where she's now sleeping. And I was, after I was painting, took off my old painting clothes, put on my new fresh clothes. And then did I go back to my old painting clothes and put that over my new ones again? No, because that would make no sense. I don't put my old stuff over my new stuff anymore. But that's what we do too often with our old selves. You know, it's a bit like um, this list that we've seen in Colossians chapter 3. Um, I'll pick it up in a second. So there's our old list. There's impurity, passion, sexual immorality, covetousness, evil desire, and so on. And this is what we had on us. This was our old selves. But in Christ, he has taken off that old self and he's put on the new. But far too often, what do we do? We go back to the old selves and we try to put it back over our new selves again. And that's not, that just will simply not do. God wants us to follow him and to live differently for him. And he gives us the power and the strength to do that. And yes, we do fail, but we go back to him each day and he gives us the strength to follow again. 
but too often we're like a dog that returns to his vomit. That's what we read in Proverbs 26, verse 11, isn't it? Like a dog who returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. So let's put to death those old things and put on our new selves. Your old self has been nailed to the cross. And we've seen that in Colossians chapter... uh, I'll just read it anyway. It's not there. I'll just read it out. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15, it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He has nailed our old selves to the cross. Our sins has been nailed to the cross. Jesus paid for those. So stop going back to them. It's been paid for on the cross. This set of legal demands has been paid for on the cross. The great record of debt has been cancelled and we've been given new life. God has made us alive together with Christ so we can live that life. So there's the list that we can see. Uh, We're not going to go through them all for the sake of time, but you can see there, there's all the things we put to death. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, all these things that are earthy in us. We don't lie. We put off the old self. We put on the new self. And we put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. And above all these, we put on love. This binds it all together, is the love that we have in Christ. Because as his children, we show his love to others. And others are then drawn to him as well and want to know him as their personal saviour. So how can we sustain obedience? It's through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. If you trust in Jesus, he is the one who gives you a new life. And therefore we can live a new lifestyle. If you have a new life, we are called to live a new lifestyle. We're called to be different. But it all begins with being raised with Christ. You were dead in your sins. Jesus Christ alone forgave you if you've trusted in him. Jesus alone gave you new life. So let's trust in him continually. Let's live for him through the strength and the grace and the power that he provides. As we read in Colossians 1.11, may we be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy he lives in you so let's live for him let's pray dear lord god i just thank you so much lord for the fact that we have such great truth that we can see in your word and it gives us such hope and security lord because if it was down to us to follow you lord we know we uh, we would be just such failures And we know, Lord, that time and time again we do fail you, but we don't need to throw our arms up in despair and think that somehow this will have an effect on our salvation. We know that if we're justified, we're justified forever. If we're forgiven, we are forgiven forever. Our salvation is secure in you and that your work for us is complete on the cross, that Jesus himself said on the cross, it is finished, and so finished it is. And Lord, thank you that then that gives us a great sense of hope and peace as we follow you 
And we know, Lord, that you don't even leave us as orphans to follow you alone, but you've given us your Holy Spirit, Lord, to live and work within us, to enable us, Lord, to follow you, to give us this new life, and that we can be in this journey of sanctification where we're being made more and more like you. And one day, Lord, we'll be with you forever in eternity, where there'll be no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering, no more sin, but we will have eternal peace and satisfaction and joy in our new bodies with you forever. But as we struggle now in this life, in this battle between our old selves and our new selves, I pray, Lord, you'll help us to fight this fight of faith by drawing to you each day and calling on you for the grace and the strength and the power and the enabling that you provide for us. Thank you that you are so willing and so able to work within us for your glory so that your name could be lifted up. In your gracious name, amen. Thank you.